Hey, this is Clark here with John. John, how do you say your last name? It's Heim. Heim. John Heim. John Heim. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. How about yourself? Doing really good. So um, today I just wanted to talk a little bit about you and, and your mission work and, and see what you've been up to with the, uh, with the Philippines. Can, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, let's see. I'm 49 years old. Been saved for 25 years of that. Um, can you still hear me? Yes, sir. Keep going. No problem. All right. Yeah. Uh, been to three different seminaries. Uh, each one with a different focus. Uh, one was uh, very heavy in missions. Another in group processes and uh, learning how to uh, raise leaders and uh, develop develop their skills, the pastoral skills. And another one just in church history, just because of all the different doctrines out there that we come across and uh, uh, working with a lot of uh, Catholics in the Philippines. Yeah, so, and, and that's uh, that's actually one of the questions I'm going to have for you in a bit is, is how you deal with that. But uh, So you've been to three seminaries. That's, uh, that's three more than most. So I, I guess you really uh, felt compelled to, to learn about uh, about missions and, and outreach before actually going out into the field? Oh, yes. Lots of study. Um, I, I wanted to go into missions right away after I was saved and started college. But uh, I'm a diabetic, so most agencies won't send me. So I have to raise my own support and pretty much go on my own. But uh, I felt that's just the way the Lord wanted me to do it. And uh, it's been a blessing, a real blessing, both uh for me in my own life, in my own ministry, in my own Christian walk, and uh, all that additional education really helps uh, uh, to be able to pass it on to people who can't get to, to school. Right. And, and John, tell me, how did you take that step to get involved into actually going into the field and doing mission work? It started with doing research for my home church on uh, human trafficking. And I was looking at human trafficking from Eastern Europe. Asia and Central America and South America, and just studying the, the Filipino people, I really began to fall in love with them and realize uh, that's where my burden was. Mm -hmm. uh, as a young Christian, I'd, I'd always had visions of somewhere, palm trees and a beach, and, uh, and even though it took 20 years, that's what uh, that's where I ended up. Yeah, and... Um the people, the Philippines, they are wonderful. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, when you got over there, your experience with them. Oh, they're the, they're the warmest people in the world. They, they have absolutely nothing. Um, a lot of them still live in bamboo huts. Uh, they live off the land, whatever's growing on the tree outside. Uh, pigs, goats, chickens that they have in their own yards. But the, the beautiful thing is they live in uh, clan villages at least where I was. And so it'd be about a four acre plot of land with about 20 or 30 families living in there. And one will uh, kill a chicken and then they'll just pass it around from house to house. Oh, wow. And someone will, someone will cook rice, a big bowl of rice, and that'll go around house to house. So one family takes part in sharing with 20, 30 other families. And uh, that, that was a little weird to get used to because they put down a bowl of rice, and, and I'd take a plate, and then uh, a child would come along, grab the bowl, and run off, and <laughs> go to the next house with it. And then a few minutes later, 
someone will arrive with some vegetables or. Uh, or That's what, incredible. Is that so? So culturally, it sounds very different than how we live here in America. Oh, very, very different. Yes, uh, they're very family oriented with the clans, but it's not like what we think here in America, where the the whole family is sitting down at the table and eating together. Uh, no, it's all the where I was. I was staying with Irma, the school principal, and she has six kids, but the kids were never there to eat. They're they're always at their relatives house playing with their other friends or so even though they're very family cl- close it's an extended huge family and and you were saying that a lot of them are catholic that's been my experience uh, working with filipinos is that there's a huge catholic population there so were you able to uh did you feel comfortable uh doing outreach over there or how was that that transition it's it's definitely different because there's a lot of um hostility that towards born agains um uh, for an example the one church that i uh I preached at twice and, and they do work at a landfill uh during the worship services the, the the neighborhood will come out and actually throw stones at the church uh throw profanity at the people the coming and going uh it's it, so very you, very difficult did, would you say they felt uh, threatened by by you guys, or they just weren't? They were scared of what they didn't know, or, or how how would you see that reception? A lot of it is just ingrained that if you're not a Catholic, you're not a Christian. Okay. Uh, that they're taught that from from the very beginning, and they see born again Christians as kind of a cult. Mm-hmm. That uh, because the the Catholics are are very nominal. They go on their holidays. Uh, but they don't, they're not regular attenders. They don't read the Bible. They don't even have Bibles. Uh, so they really, it's partly ignorance. They don't know exactly what it's about. And they're shunned by their family if they become, become a born again. Uh, yeah, we're kind of considered a cult, but there, there is process made once you, you've gotten roads into one family a good chance is that a lot of the other family will follow. Yeah, that, and, and let's talk a little bit about that and the work that, you, that you've been doing over there. So once you kind of break through that wall and you start reaching people, um, you found that it's effective. I mean, obviously there's a lot of needs there. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, one of the ways we do break through is through feeding programs. Uh, they'll come out for the food. They'll listen to a message. But they're, they're really slow and hesitant to uh, join or attend. But we find if we just keep doing it, keep uh, going with different programs, even if they're not receptive at first, that eventually um, they see that we, we do care and that we do love them and that we're not, even though we, we preach to them and share the message and share the love, it's not overly pushy. Right. So they can kind of get to know you and, and that might... Um, Trump just uh, trying to just put a gospel message in their face and say take it or leave it. Right, yes. It's just uh, continually showing Jesus' love and letting them build relationships and trust first. Okay. And are you focusing on a certain area in the Philippines? I focus on northern Mindanao, which uh, Mindanao is a very southern island. Uh, It's... I'd say 95% of the landmass is really Muslim. 
but the top northern part is the Catholic part, and that, that's where I'm focusing part. There's a, a big city called Cagayan de Oro, so from there along the, the northern uh, edge of the, that island is where all the Catholics are, and that's that's where we're focusing. And mostly, that mainly, that's because that's where my first contacts were made, uh, okay. where I first met uh, Irma, the school principal, and then Pastor Ian. And and you had told me about uh, that a little bit. So you you were able to partner with the school, and and the idea was that you would feed people, and they'd allow you to pass out New Testaments, or right? Yeah, we had arranged. Philippines is strange. Uh, they're not like America. When they say they're going to be there, they're not. But we had arranged for Gideon's Bibles to come out. And they, they have a program where they'll offer free Bibles to school children. And they never made it. But we were able to get enough Bibles to put one in each classroom okay. so that the teachers there could use them. Uh, they were English and, uh, and Filipino. Well, they speak Visayan there so that they could have them and... We did do the the feeding program. We did uh, we we did a video show of, for children. We did uh, a children's ministry with singing and uh, and preaching. And at the end of the the children's ministry, we asked you know how many of you would now like to have a relationship with Christ? And every single kid put up their hand. Oh wow! So that was 175 kids and about 25 parents. And, uh, and and being over there on the ground, I mean, what what needs are you seeing from these kids and from these parents? What do they need the most? Right now, um, food. They live on less than a dollar a day. Uh, jobs is is important to them. The kids don't go to school because they're they have to stay home to work the farms. They grow rice or their chickens, and uh, we found that by giving food at the school. More kids are coming to school and getting an education. It, it, it increases their uh, participation in school. The parents then see the benefit. Um, and also, because of what we're do, doing with the feeding, the school superintendent there welcomes it. He sees his attendance goes up. But then he also, he's agreed that as part of that, that we would be able to, to minister to the families. Uh, right now, the greatest need is with these children... And uh, the parents hearing the gospel is more pastors in that area. Right now, I only have uh, uh, Pastor Ian. He's about an hour away, and he's already split between uh, four churches that he's planted. And I have one pastor there at the school um, that is that is trying. We're filtering the people that get saved into his church, but uh, it's it's not enough. Right, and and. Uh, there's a couple of questions that, that come to mind from that. So how is it, how do people um, kind of get involved? Because it sounds like you're in a relatively remote place. I mean, are you just grassroots calling people, say, or friends or associates saying, hey, this is a good place to reach out to? Or, you know, how is that happening? Are you talking about with uh, the people that are there? or? Well, you were saying there's a shortage of pastors and getting them out there. Uh, yeah, it's all, it's all word of mouth. There's... Um... All these pastors, they, they come in contact with each other. So when I say I need help in this area or help in that area, they'll say, well, contact this person. And uh, that's what we're doing. But they're just, like you said, it's a very remote area. Um, and right now there's only one other past, one pastor there in, in 
that area, the vicinity of the school. And uh, and the schools are, I mean, it, would it be a, a possibility in the future where the churches and schools could, could kind of be the same or one? Uh, you could plan a church and also offer education, or is that uh, forbidden over there? No, that's one thing Pastor Ian is doing, but it's just become so expensive uh, because of the uh, cost of education. You have to have certified administrators, certified teachers, and and Pastor Ian, his sal his salary is zero. He lives off he lives off the donations from the the people from the church who don't have jobs, so they scour the the dump for food, oh. and and they give that rotten food to him as his salary. Uh, and he is uh, was he the one that started all this or? He's the one who started the churches in Cagayan de Oro and was one of my first contacts that was willing to come out to where, where we were working in the school and to do the, the video presentation and the preaching, him and his wife. Cause it, uh, it, it, so it almost seems like what's interesting about this effort is you guys are almost having to do this independently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no denominational backup uh, uh all the support I go is it, I raise myself, mm -hmm. and uh, it's pretty much my own paycheck. I'm slowly getting a support team growing, and, and people that have made one-time donations are now, um, some have started to consider giving monthly, and uh, which, which helps because uh, there's a lot of, lot of needs there. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I know people listening might uh, want to get involved. How can they directly help you? The best, well, of course, always prayer. We, we need lots of that, that the people are receptive. Um, uh, but, yeah, support-wise, the, the For a Friend website is great for small donations or even large ones. You can give as, as much as you want. And that's uh, forafriend.com? Forafriend.com, yes. John I got, and John, John, if you search Philippines, I think there's only two of us in the Philippines. Okay. You'll see a little background about what we had started, and um, I'm beginning to do a newsletter. So if anybody wants, they can they can message me through for a friend, and I'll I'll add them to the a newsletter. We're going to try to do monthly with pictures of uh, baptisms, of the feeding program, of the, the churches that are getting planted. Uh, unfortunately, it only lets me do one picture at a time. But if if you want to add your email to me, send it to me. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a bunch of pictures as they as they're coming in. And, and um, the last uh, one thing I, before I forget, I want to ask you about the typhoon. You, know, you mentioned pictures. I started thinking about that. Did the typhoon affect this area? The big one? Are there other ones that are happening? What's going on with that? That big one did not affect people directly, but lots of families. Uh, it it did. You know, people are worried. What's happening to my family that do live in that part? Um, so directly, no. But for the last couple of weeks, there's were, the last three weeks, there was 20 days of rain, and then a smaller typhoon came through. Uh, it was not not nothing like Yolanda, but there are lots of homeless people. They live in uh, bamboo huts, like I said, and that get wiped out. So all those people really don't have any place to go. Electricity was out for a little while. And uh, there's, there's no government programs 
Right. To, it to sounds help. yeah, it sounds pretty kind of just thrown together over there. That's why I was surprised that the schools had to have uh, registered teachers. Yeah, the the schools are pretty tough, but and, and I, with my relationship with the superintendent, it's like, well, there are f- free feeding programs. Why aren't you doing it? And they said they can't require their teachers to do anything but teach. Mm-hmm. There's a program called Vitameal, which will give nutritious meals that's rice-based free to the to these kids. But the problem is training somebody to to administer it. It has lots of uh, lots of rules and regulations. You have to have the child's name, their address. You have to measure them, their weight, yeah. and and it's just real burdens too much for the for the students. That's one thing I would like to be able to do is go over there and and set up a team that uh, volunteer parents perhaps that could be uh, to administer this program. Right, to get all the paperwork done and all that. Yeah, because the kids have to be measured and monitored weekly. And uh, it, it's, it's quite a lot. And the logistics yeah. of getting the food there, they'll give you the food free, but getting it from Manila mm-hmm. to Mindanao mm-hmm. is quite a chore. But how, how, do you, how would you get to Manila to, to where you are? You have to fly. It's it's only an hour and a half flight. But okay. And one, uh, sorry to cut you off, but one one thing I wanted to get in here, my experience with the Philippines is that exchange rate is pretty favorable for dollars. So if somebody gives you a hundred dollars to help this cause, what could a hundred dollars do over there? Oh, that's easily one hundred meals, wow. which uh, it would feed half the school. Yeah. For, but that's that's one day. I mean, uh, one dollar will get us. Uh, a cup of rice, it'll get a piece of chicken, probably like either a leg or a wing, depending on the size of the child. Uh, breasts, we split in half. So we're getting like eight to ten pieces of chicken, eight to ten kids fed on one chicken. Uh, so they get rice, they get noodles, and then we'll we'll give them spinach uh, just for to add to the protein. And, and that's more than enough for them. Yeah, that's... That's very interesting because I know some people, uh, they think, okay, well, I can't give that much or will my money really go a long way? And I just had recalled that the Philippines, a dollar still does some uh, pretty serious damage over there. Oh, yeah. A dollar, um, to give you, uh, the, the school administrators in American money are making about $7,000 a year. And that's what they're living on. Um, so if you can imagine if you're an American making twenty twenty five. Yeah, how much? That's you know three four times what they're making over there. So you can do, you can increase somebody's level of uh, living three or four times just by for every dollar you give. That's fantastic. It, yeah, that and, and and is there any sustainable stuff? I mean, is there are there abilities there or the resources there to to like you said start farms or. To, to build something where these people have things that are uh, paying them back or paying dividends? Well, that's one of the, the, the goals I have is, um, and it's it's a huge one that only God is going to be able to supply. And there's a farm for sale, and it, it's uh, 16 acres. It has its own fruit trees and uh, pigs and sheep and goats and chickens and a fish farm. And it also has three houses on it. One of the things I wanted to do is, is be able to purchase that property so that we could use it as a learning center on how to uh, harvest and grow better mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables. Uh, 
because right and to to bring together a market like a makeshift agriculture school. I mean, yeah, that that's one of the things I want to invite other ministries uh, from U.S., Europe, wherever to come and visit and collect all these farmers, give them lessons, show them how to do it, uh, and also use that farm as a spiritual uh, uh, place for the pastors that are working there to be able to come and have a retreat, get their education. Uh, so Because right now, are they just, like, when you go over there, are you just staying in a hut or something? Or Yeah, I'm staying with Irma and her family. Uh, so... That that's pretty much, and that's very that's very basic. It's two bedrooms. She also has six kids living there, so yeah, it gets kind of gets a little tight, kind of crowded. But it's a blessing because I don't have to. There's no cost for housing. There's no cost for food. Um, so th- that's that really helps a lot. And then then there's a lot of travel with jeepneys, motorbikes because there's no. No taxis, and she's way up in the hills where you have to use uh, everything is mud roads. Right, so it's right. either horse or motorbike. Well, um, uh, good. Uh, no, I was just going to say, John, it was great to uh, talk to you, and I know that um, you know I'm going to be praying for you, and I know people listening are going to be praying for you, and um, they're going to definitely need to check out the For a Friend website. Oh, absolutely, and. Uh, I'll be praying for your website too. It sounds like a, a great blessing to to the the people that it's going to serve, and I'm glad to be part of it. Thank you, thank you. You're one of the first, and uh, I really appreciate that. So, John, it was great talking to you, and um, we're going to follow up with you soon. All right, Clark. Thank you. Thank you.